Welcome to Spirit School. I'm your mentor, Danielle Serenk, also known as the Squamish Medium. In this podcast, I share honestly all I have learned about the mediumship and spiritual development journey. My intention is to normalize these conversations, to make way for a more confident, clear, and connected wave of lightworkers, serving the world of spirit with an open and joyful soul. Welcome again to Spirit School. Hello, Spirit School. Thank you for hopping on for another episode. You will probably notice that this is a very different topic than I typically talk about, and I'm just popping in to set the stage for what we're about to share, which is an unfiltered, unedited conversation between me and Daniel, who I will drop their Instagram account below so that you can follow them. They are absolutely incredible. I asked them to come on and talk about this topic from the lens of a subject matter expert, an Indigenous human, as somebody who has found great healing through psychedelics in this space and now has dedicated their life to making it accessible to more, taking into consideration the Indigenous roots and making sure that it is diverse and inclusive in its research and in whatever ends up being in the mainstream space. So we go really deep in this conversation. We get really personal. We're sharing intimate experiences and conversation. So my only request, dear listener, I feel like over five years I have worked very hard to be as authentic, as real, as vulnerable as possible with you. And in exchange, I'm just simply asking for a very open heart, a very open mind as we share this conversation with you. One of the biggest takeaways from this conversation has been which I absolutely adored, how necessary destigmatization, I'm having a really hard time saying that word, is when it comes to those who have exhausted all other fields around healing and may want to give this a go. I do say this in the middle of the conversation, but I'm going to drop it in again here. I need to acknowledge the influence that I have been building over the years and the fact that something I have seen quite commonly is I will share someone or I will share something and so many of you will either buy from this person, experience this person or invest in the things that I'm sharing. And I want to just say that I do not believe that this modality will work for absolutely everyone or is for absolutely everyone. I do share some context in the interview that we have here that might bring you a little bit of comfort around that but what I don't mention in the conversation that I want to add to the show notes which is how come they're so long is a post I wrote in the Spirit School community the night before we held this conversation because I wanted to give the audience comfort, especially those who still have a lot of stigma around this topic, those who are not as open to it, that I did a lot of research, a lot of studying, and I share all the resources that helped contribute to my decision to try psychedelic healing to potentially treat or cure my PMDD condition. And this all happened a couple years ago, so I haven't changed. None of you know I did it. I am literally sharing everything 18 months after my last healing experience with psychedelics in an effort to treat and manage my PMDD. So the Danielle you get today is the Danielle you got two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. It hasn't changed me fundamentally, but it did create some experiences that did crack me open, humble me up, and set me on a more confident 
path forward. So I will leave that there. I wanted to just pop in before I drop in this recording. And again, this conversation happened live in the Spear School community. Come join the Spear School community. It's perfectly free, but we will definitely be having more conversations like this via video live in that space. So if you want to come see the video of me and Daniel talking, please do hop over to the Spear School community. I will add that link in there and I will absolutely be doing more of this in the new year at Spear School. So enjoy the conversations. If you have any questions, just hit me up in a DM on Instagram at Squamish Medium. Or if you're on Spotify, you can leave a comment. But for those who are live in attendance, there's over 60 of you. I just want to say thank you. You really did make the energy of this conversation feel very rich, healing, deep. And everything that we had set the intention on in creating this conversation for you all. So thank you for your openness. I hope you enjoy the topic and the conversation and we will see you on the other side. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Hey, Daniel. Hi. So let's get started. Me and Daniel kind of talked about a bit of a format where yesterday I shared a post. I highly recommend that you go check out that post after this conversation where I shared more of the research I did and the different resources I used to take into consideration to understand if psychedelic healing was something that would be accessible for me or beneficial for me. So I want to share a little bit about my story, my experience with it. And then I want to bring Daniel on to really be the bigger part of this conversation because this is their life's work and they have a lot to say about this. But first I want you to bring your voice in, Daniel, if you want to introduce yourself to the Spirit School community, I would love that. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. So my name is Daniel. Uh, my spiritual practice goes by the name of Manos and Maya, which really was born out of uh, our, my, my mom and, our, and my generation's reclaiming of our Mayan heritage. So over the years, there's been systemic genocide in Guatemala, which is where my mom is from, on indigenous and uh, uh, First Nations people of what was and continues to be Mayan territory. And of course, through doing some tracing around my own spiritual development and being in the mediumship container, um, I learned that I actually come from a very long lineage of Mayan healers and shamans, which really explains uh, the genesis of how when I was five years old, I'd run around the house with a towel wrapped around my neck, pretending to be a doctor and mixing potions and elixirs, uh, which leads me to my muggle job and how I wound up in medicine. It was this affinity to heal it was this affinity to connect with people who weren't doing well and and as i went through schooling and as i went through um university and everything i couldn't figure out why medicine wasn't fully filling my cup it was like just right there i was i was there i worked in the hospital setting and and it brought me a lot of joy it just wasn't doing it for me until obviously the spiritual development that's when it clicked that i'm meant to be a light worker and a healer in that regard. So in my current nine to five job, I'm the global head of patient experience, diversity and inclusion. So I'm responsible for 60 countries of clinical trial development and I oversee cardiovascular, neuroscience, metabolics, rare disease and oncology. Um, and in the midst of that portfolio within neuroscience is where we do all of our psychedelic work. So yeah, that's a, that's a hybrid of me, the spiritual side and the muggle. So just dropping Daniel an emoji, how excited you are to have him here, because can you see why I wanted to have this conversation with, with them 
And I'm sorry if I'm using the pronouns. I know you go by he, her. So if yeah. I jumble it up, please excuse me. But I'll try to whatever feels right in the moment. So <laughs> go for it. Awesome. So my background in this is not as traditional and it's not as established, I have to say. So that's why I wanted to start by sharing kind of my muggle experience in this regard um, and then bring your real wisdom and your grounded and practical experience with this as part of the real conversation. Um, and where I wanted to start with this is, you know, I, I tried psilocybin when I was a teenager. I think, you know, we didn't have Facebook or, or Snapchat or anything back then. We were out in the forest. <laughs> that was kind of the childhood that I really grew up in. And there's a lot of experimentation with that. And I have to say that my first ever experience with psilocybin was not a great one. So much so that when I had my first experience, because of course we didn't know about intention setting or set and setting when you're that young, which is such a big part of the healing process of it, I ended up having what we would consider to be like a hard trip or like a bad trip around 14 years old. And I never touched it again. <laughs> it was just one of those first experiences. So when I got diagnosed with PMDD in 2017, I had had it for much, much longer. I remember going to a naturopath because my doctor would just like roll his eyes anytime I would bring up, you know, PMDD or like having like this anger and like this depression that would only come two days a month, but it was so severe. It actually impacted my life in so many negative ways. I would get an eye roll. And well, I don't want to give you antidepressants because you don't need them for 28 days. So it's like basically Tesla. So the medical system didn't prove to show anything. And back then they weren't even like researching PMDD. They were just lumping it in with severe PMS. I went to traditional doctors. I went to different naturopaths. I, I did a bunch of therapy. And over the course of years, um, you know, I remember going to a naturopath and saying, like, if I don't figure out how to deal with this anger, I'm going to lose my job because it was very severe that I would be acting so out of character a couple of days a month. It was like a really uh, life hindering thing for me. And I would have to tell every employer, every department I was in about this condition. And I may act a bit different once a month, like just trying to give some context to what I was up against with this condition. And it was impacting my marriage, my career, my self-worth, like just a lot of internal violence around these different times and seasons. So it was actually through my death doula studies research that I came across this study in 2019 that John Hopkins was doing with terminally ill patients and high doses of psilocybin to help alleviate their death anxiety. And the research was phenomenal. I watched um, a couple documentaries on it. I read a few case studies on it. And so this is where I feel the first nudging around psychedelics potentially being something that could support me and help me in my condition kind of like cracked me open. But for me, I was a little bit worried about the impacts of psychedelics on my brain because we work in mental mediumship and I was very unsure about how, if it would impact my mediumship negatively in any way, I would ask every medium I knew if they had any experience in this regard and not many people were ever open to talking about it. Um, it was just one of these like taboo, people didn't wanna fess up if they were doing it or not. There wasn't a whole lot of like cross sharing in this regard. So duck, duck, go, I went, came across Eileen Garrett's work, um, who was a very respected and well-known psychic medium in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, only to find out she had a center that was focused on studying mediumship under LSD. <laughs> perfect sense. 
It was absolutely wild. And she had a quote from one of her research papers that said, I feel like I'm a better medium today because of LSD and it opening me up. And so, yeah, that kind of gave me a little bit of more comfort that like, okay, maybe it won't like shut things down for me. It's just because it's my career now is very worried about its impact. So leading up to, and I've only ever shared these experiences in my mastermind containers. And if you were there, let me know, you know, 2021 masterminds and 2022 masterminds, I shared a little bit more about this, but what I found was I, I tried the microdosing first under the Stamets stack protocol with lion's mane and uh, like a once 10 dose that was actually in a little pill, um, like a little capsule, I should say, because I don't like eating mushrooms myself. And so I wanted to see the effects of it in that lower dose to see if it made a bit of an impact or a change. Um, and then I ended up wanting to try one of these healing doses, which they would call a hero dose, which is five grams. And I wanted to just say that leading up to it, I really did take into consideration the intention setting, the set and setting. I actually joked that it was my thousand dollar trip <laughs> because I didn't want to do it at home, but I wanted to be somewhere nice just because I didn't know what to expect. And I ended up like at the Four Seasons Hotel with my best friend at the time, making her kind of like be my sitter around it. Um, and the funny thing that I found, and I love that you do call it medicine, because I think that the intentionality behind seeing it as medicine was really profound for me in my first experience. What I personally found was leading up to it for two months, I would meditate, I would set intentions with the medicine, I would like connect with it, I would kind of like acclimate to it, and I would tell it what I thought I wanted out of the experience. But right before I went into my first experience, the funniest thing happened that I kind of chickened out because I was like so afraid of having a bad trip. I just said, you know what? I just want to learn to love myself. So that ended up being my ultimate intention. And then what ended up happening was everything I had been meditating on for two months. Mm -hmm. like medicine took me through it hit every single thing I had been thinking about. I had been praying on for two months it hit every single thing and i have to say to you the most mind-blowing part about that experience the level of healing it brought me from bringing up things on why i may criticize myself why i have this worthiness stuff come up for me on my path it literally hit everything and then it showed me things that literally happened in the next six to 18 months like mind blowing it literally showed me grieving my brother and i'm like why am i grieving my brother and my brother almost died three months later it was wild um it was one of the most wild healing nuanced mind-blowing experiences i ever had mostly because i could see the medicine guiding me on this like experience of everything i had been thinking about and everything i had been meditating and praying on came to fruition it was kind of wild so that's my first experience i don't know if you want to share an experience of yours or anything like that just let me know i welcome yeah. your voice <laughs> so so when i when we think about and by the way by the way the study you're referring to those researchers they're part of the study team now they've since left that academic environment and pursued development of psilocybin so um, we reference that study quite a bit in the palliative care setting. So 
like so many different things and threads that we can pull on this, right? But what I'll say is when we think of classical psychedelics, psilocybin, LSD, um, we think MDMA, we think peyote, which is a lot more Native American indigenous healing, sacred healing, uh, DMT. So these are like the, the five psychedelics that we right now in drug development are thinking about in that classical psychedelic category. Um, in terms of experience, yes, I have experienced um, MDMA, psilocybin, and LSD. And I'll start in reverse. I'll say I'm a better medium because of LSD specifically. Um, the experiences with the psychedelics have been pretty different um, from a sensory perspective and the way you experience space and time. But the common thread is that there is this aspect of experiencing the psychedelic trip where in order for the medicine to work and the intention of this, let's call it compound, to come into your body and to activate this, which we do not understand cerebrally. I mean, we've done years and years and years and years of work in neuroscience. We don't understand consciousness. You can't point to the gene. You can't point to the part of the brain. And we similarly can't fully understand the, what we call as the mechanism of action. Every drug that we develop, every clinical trial, you'll have a, a booklet called an investigator brochure. It's like this thick, and it talks about the drug's mechanism of action, how it works, the target in the body, why the medicine works, et cetera. But with psychedelics, no one can seem to figure out why it does what it does. And I say that because in my experience, the medicine, the healing part is in the act of surrender. It is in the act of falling into the hands of the compound. It is in the act of this compound activating itself and of you just trusting in your own healing ability, because that's really what it is. The only thing that I, in my experience, have, have found is that psychedelics is like a spiritual mirror that rises in front of you. And you start to see yourself not as your own physical body self, you start to see yourself as your own spiritual self, which can take you on a pretty fantastic ride. But if you're fighting it, if you are in a position where you're like, no, I refuse to accept that, or I refuse to heal, or I refuse, if you're in any state of refusal, you are going to not have a great time on this trip. When you surrender, okay, the first time that I tried LSD, this is really cool. Um, I had gotten home from work and my then partner kept smirking at me and I was like, what's going on? He's like, look, I know you've been really stressed with work, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I need you to get dressed and be ready by seven. I said, okay, no problems, right? So I'm sitting on the couch and I hear him shaking up a cocktail and it's my favorite sound in the world. And I'm like, wow, what's, what's, what's this treat right and he comes over hands me a cocktail and then he says stick your tongue out and i'm like that's strange and then on my tongue goes the lsd tab hmm. and about two hours later i was seeing erica badu here in los angeles at the hollywood bowl and i didn't know what to expect from the psychedelic experience side of things it's my first time doing lsd and what happened was I mean, still to this day, gives me goosebumps because we're sitting in the audience and what LSD does is it dissolves your ego. So whereas psilocybin 
opens up your sensory perception and it almost feels like you've broken through different dimensions. LSD dissolves your ego and you quite literally feel at one with everything. And I know that sounds very like Star Wars Yoda-y, um, but it's true because there came a moment in the concert where I was watching her perform and then suddenly I was with her. If I can like, and, and I thought to myself, this is how spirit must work. When you're in spirit realm, there is no space. There's no time. There isn't a, I'm way over there. She's way over there. No, it was like in an instantaneous moment, I was with her in the performance. I was with her in the experience. I was feeling the music. I could see the music. I It, it just became this whole dissolved thing. Um, and that is profoundly healing. Now, on the formal drug development side of things, I love that you said it was your $1,000 trip. Because... I, because of how conflicted I am with the work that I do, it's very telling of how big my mission is of why I was, why I chose to come to earth in this form. Because on the one hand, this healing is for everybody. This healing belongs to everybody. Everyone should go out and experience these things. There has been the historical war on crimes uh, because of Nancy Reagan and the Reagan administration that criminalized psychedelics and there's a lot of criminal trauma so many generations of people who were incarcerated for decades 20 plus years over just having psychedelics on them so of course there's that trauma and that stigma of oh my god it's a drug right like they're, they're drugs um and now for the first time since the 60s the drug development world is saying okay well Yes, this is a Schedule II class drug under the eyes of the Drug Enforcement Agency, but there's clear medicinal benefit. So, yes, there's on the one hand the open access, if you will, and then on the drug development side, it's a very structured, formal, methodical um, approach to developing a compound. I mean, the precision of saying like, all right, you, Danielle, need this you know, amount of micrograms per kilogram of your weight in order to achieve this effect. And we will know for a fact that Daniel is going to have the same effect if he gets a dose calculated at this microgram per kilogram of weight. So it's like that level of precision that drug development is seeking to attain because then the ultimate goal, if they are able to commercialize these compounds, the ultimate goal is that I go into a clinic and say I'm depressed or that you go in and say, you know, you've got PMDD and the doctor can literally prescribe this to you and your insurance can pay for it. And that's the whole point of this. Now, the cost of doing that is astronomical because you have to imagine that we're conducting studies in doctor's offices where you need to have a therapist for 12 hours with the patient. The patient is double-blinded, so they don't know if they randomized into psilocybin. The therapist doesn't know if you randomized to psilocybin. What if two hours into it, you are obviously not tripping, and now you have to sit in this room that has been set up for this study for 12 hours with your therapist, right? It's, it's crazy. And then when you're doing an LSD study, these aren't micro doses. These are macro, you're on an IV dose. So right. you have to have a setup where like you have 24 hour nursing, et cetera. And then here's the part that I get on my soapbox, right? And this is the hardest part. When all is said and done and you get these studies to the market, who can actually afford them? 
Mm. Who actually has access to mental health providers? Who actually can afford or knows or has access to a psychiatrist? So now you're looking at disproportionately affecting the communities that have been most hurt historically. Right. And they're going to get hurt again because they don't have access to this. They can't afford it. You know, a single mom can't afford to take a half day to go to a you know therapist for a, a psilocybin trip. Um, and that's really, really hard for me because on the one hand, you're creating a path to it. On the other hand, you're erasing the healing for large communities, right? And so that's the, that's the challenge that comes across my desk every day. These are the things that our project teams come to me and they're like, Daniel, like fix it. <laughs> um, and so I'm constantly thinking about it. Meanwhile, I log off my computer after a long day of work of trying to figure out how to make this accessible. And it just baffles me that if it's a Friday night, I'm like, huh, I'll microdose some LSD and watch a movie, right? Like it's so accessible in that regard, but like, what are the paths here and in what setting and, and under what type of, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like what mentality, is it healing? Is it recreational? Is it spiritual? Is it a blend of all of it? I think it's experientially, I think it's all of it. We're human, that's just how it is. Yeah. Well, I want to say that, you know, I think because I used to work in First Nations healthcare myself, like at that health governance and policy level as a supporting character, but got to sit in some pretty big rooms when it came to decision making on Indigenous healthcare in Canada. And so, you know, I imagine, well, there's a couple of things. One thing is it brings me a lot of comfort because you can get a little bit uncomfortable sometimes knowing that there are companies or organizations um like policing the medicine and knowing that it was so easily accessible to like our indigenous communities i watched that documentary how to change your mind and the last episode on peyote was really eye-opening right about how it was becoming less accessible to the indigenous because non-indigenous were coming to just like harvest in, in mass scale when you really just need to take what you need kind of thing so we lose a little bit of that um, respect, if we will. So I just want to say that it brings me comfort hearing you talk that there is somebody spiritual, a light worker on this, <laughs> on this team in a, an area of influence. So thank you for that, because I know you refer to it as like your muggle job. Um, but like, obviously, you're needed there. And this is where I say light workers are needed at all systems of society. And so Thank you, Daniel, for that. Um, I want to share my second experience, and I opened it up for people if they have any questions, because I thought that this would be a great space for people to kind of ask questions. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of taking in all the things that you said, because it's a lot and I'm not in that world, but it brought me yeah. like a lot of comfort because I agree about the inaccessibility for certain groups. But my hope is that, you know, we've had different psilocybin dispensaries kind of pop up districts are giving them permits like nobody's policing it too hard it's like pretty accessible now um and i hope that it can just stay really accessible at that level as well but it also brings me comfort too because you know when i was a kid doing it at 14 and ended up having this like not great experience that kept me from it for almost 35 more years you know what i mean um it brings me comfort knowing too that they have tested out different methods of of really having people who maybe are not as spiritually inclined to see it as medicine and have a protocol to follow that is more helpful for the majority than not so that makes me really happy too i actually did consider doing my first experience in that container but everything i could find they would like boot you out of the room after eight hours and i was like i don't know if i want to drive like i think i need somewhere to like stay so that's yep. like my 
the decision that I made. Um, but my second experience was actually what you would term as a um, tough sitting, uh, a bad trip, but it wasn't a bad trip. It was just like really, really, really difficult. And it was my last one, but where you talk about, you feel that LSD maybe made you a better like medium, which I completely agree. That's what, you know, Elaine Garrett had been quoted saying, I will say that this experience did open up my mediumship for about six to eight months where it was like a lot easier than it was because I did that ego dissolution dose right mm -hmm. so i think about lsd being that ego dissolution but i did the ego dissolution dose in psilocybin because i felt like the the medicine was calling me back and so some time had passed and i went into this experience and what i'll share is it's always the the lead up to it right so you do all the meditating did all the things did all the attention setting i feel like i kind of know what's about to happen and me and my friend decide to pull goddess cards before the trip. Oh, I wonder what goddess is going to meet us. Um, so did anyone want to take a, a guess what card I pulled? <laughs> when we look oh at the goddess realm. Was it an energetic death card? It was Callie. And so I saw, oh, yeah. yeah. So Chrissy was like, yeah, Callie. So I pulled Callie and I put that card back so fast. And I was like, oh no, I did what any of us would do. And I put back the Callie card. I reshuffled, pulled a different card, read it. I'm like, yeah, okay, this is my queen. Right. And so I, I start this experience and um, it was kind of like I was rolling a mud a little bit, like what I was seeing. And I was very uncomfortable. I was very, I was in a lot of discomfort. Mm -hmm. And it actually started off really hilarious. And I remember saying to my friend, I'm on a hunt for joy. And I was actually on this treasure hunt for joy. And I was like looking under the couch and I was like looking in the drawers and I was looking in the cupboards and I'm like, joy, where are you? Where are you joy? And that's kind of how this experience started. And then I ended up in the stars. I'm always in the stars. I don't know where other people end up, but I'm always in the cosmos. Um, it reminds me of the book, The Afterlife of Billy Fingers, which is my favorite book where he says, I'm just floating with the universe. That's kind of what it feels like. And then, you know, different experiences start coming in. And what happened is Callie came in and this is when I look back at it, I'm so glad I have this experience, but it was really hard to go through in the moment. Um, but Callie basically sat with me while I was disheveled and she would hold a version of myself in front of me and she would be like, do you love this person? And I would either say yes or no. And she would say, can you accept that? And then she would do her Cali thing and then put me back together. And she's like, perfect. And she made me go through 18 versions of myself that I did not accept and love and come into radical acceptance with each of these 18 parts of myself. And it was a really um, tough experience for me when I came out of it, you know, took a couple therapy sessions, like to really kind of like unpack and that post, you know, session kind of um, experiencing, but it really broke down um, a lot of the resistances I had built up in myself and it was um it was truly like an ego dissolution experience for me and i have to say that as i entered back into doing readings after one thing i did notice is that they're a lot easier because i didn't think about them as much i didn't hold myself to some impossible standard yep. for six months it was just like here i am raw naked 
fully accepting of myself. It was actually one of these incredible experiences. And she still is one of the most awe-inspiring um, spirit helpers I have. And my friend actually bought me this beautiful Cali deck. And like, it made me really fall in love with Cali energy. So that was my second experience. It was definitely rooted in a lot of discomfort, but it was very freeing for me. Yeah, I think um, with mediumship development, I think a lot of the tools and the techniques that we learn through the container and, and as we train is about how to step beside the ego and the role that we play in really blocking ourselves and getting too cerebral, like you said, right? Creating these expectations of what mediumship should be and what it needs to look like because we see them on TV or we see them wherever. But my experience with LSD was so I think what makes it so profound is it's not about silencing the ego it's about literally killing the, the ego just ceases to exist while you're on that medicine trip it just it's gone and um there was a question on here about does microdosing over time versus a large dose let's see the question was something about like microdosing over time versus doing one large dose compare when heightening mediumship skills. So I'll say this, um, I feel like the microdosing over time, what it did for me was it kind of polished and refined over time, my mental health, my ability to find um, contentment, my ability to just every day, the world shines just a little bit more to me. And it just kind of it's this feeling up here in your chest that that's what it does for me. Um, sure, I think that definitely helps with mediumship ability because I think it helps you to focus on the being able to receive spirit. But I'll tell you, the that one-time large dose, it just like pierces through the veil. It rips a hole in the third dimension. It just like to what you're what you were saying, Daniel. Like it just. It brings me to the cosmos, but it's also the realization that the cosmos is right here. And it's just, it's like happening now, right now, right? And so it, it's really hard to put into words. And it's funny because when we write these protocols for the clinical trials, we have to write these paragraphs in there about like the background of the drug and the experience. And it's so funny when we're like sitting there with this team of like, you know, the other day I had to fly into a North Carolina here and we had experts from the UK, we flew in people from South America, we had somebody there from like, you have a team of all these scientists and doctors. And they're like, all right, we have to write this paragraph in there describing the experience. <laughs> Silence. And to get one paragraph together it took us several hours because it's so hard to quantify it. And usually what we land at is a profound life shifting and life and perspective altering experience is what usually goes into those clinical trial protocols and that's what it's like i mean you describe you know going into the cosmos and being in the stars mine feels very dimensiony like it feels like i fall and melt sideways into a spectrum of light that we just can't see because we're human mm -hmm. and it's the spectrum of light that we know exists scientifically we just can't see it our eyeballs literally don't have the ability to so i feel like during my LSE trip, I melt into that spectrum and things just feel very fluid. If I wanted to touch into a person that I'm with, 
you know, if I'm with a group of friends, it happens so effortlessly. I can feel them. I can know how they're thinking. I can feel the presence of their loved one. Like it happens instantaneously. It's, it's really amazing stuff. So to answer the question, the larger dose, when you come out of that, you're, you're so fresh back into your ego that you realize, oh, this was a jacket the whole time. I can just take it on and take it off. Like it doesn't, it no longer feels like skin that you can't rip off of you during a reading. It just effortlessly comes off versus microdosing over time kind of helps, you know, get you in a better state of mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think from, I did the microdosing for about a year before I tried a macrodose. Again, I'm a slow study. So I do things really, really, really slow. Like I'm talking about this a whole 18 months after my last experience. <laughs> That's how much I like to try to like unpack things before I talk about them. But one thing I noticed, um, I have a real deep connection to light that's why I use language like light worker. Whenever I see the spirit world, they're always light. Whenever I see angels objectively, they're always light. I have and like the the thought of like light through trees. That visual hasn't is enough to stop me in my tracks and put me in a state of awe. Um, and one thing I noticed that I loved about the microdosing. And again, you don't feel anything. If you feel something, you should. It's wrong. Like you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like it should be very very subtle. For me, I was using it intentionally to like rewire my brain. If my brain was one of the packs of PMDD, right? Because that's where they were leading to. I was like, okay, brain, like, let's, let's like rewire so that this is an experience. But one thing I realized was an even more heightened admiration of light. Like I would write poems about light. I would be on my paddleboard and like watching light dance off trees and dance off the water. Like it was just this really subtle, but enhanced appreciation for light. Um, and so I, I really loved that dose as well as we went on. And I also just want to pop in a little bit of a disclaimer because I need to acknowledge and recognize like the influence I have um, in that I'm trying to bring this conversation into the light a little bit more, but in no way am I saying that this is going to be for everybody and that everybody should try it, nor should you try it under the intention of being clear and good medium. It's not really about that. You will probably be shocked at what it will show you because it's going to take you to what you need to see right what you need to experience and you don't really have control over that and if you use it to like i want to be a good medium you might think that's going to show you some sort of hack or symbol that's going to get you there quicker and it's not like that it's going to yeah. say we need to clear the way on why you have a trouble connecting and that really has nothing to do with mediumship and has everything to do with your human experience 100 percent. yeah so, that's the surrender part Exactly. So you're not going to get what you want. You're going to get what you need and you may not like what you need. Mm -hmm. um, so I just need to um, give a disclaimer on that because I don't want a whole bunch of people leaving here saying, Danielle and Daniel said to do this and I would be a better medium. No, it's not. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> yeah, the med medicine will say, hey, before you, we'll get to the spiritual side, but real quick, you're human and you start screaming in your spiritual form. I don't want to be human. <laughs> Well, I have to say that's one of the things that really turned me off from the medicine because I felt um, like what I witnessed in the space where people were promoting it was a lot of bypassing. Um, and that's really some of what I'd seen coming up and I didn't want to use it as a way to like skip a step or you know, get in 5D and ignore the 3D. And I don't think that that's what people will get. Um, I read a lot of also on Reddit, like trip reports, there's a trip report page, and it's actually quite hilarious where people kind of come back and share their experiences. And so I knew that anything could happen. 
happen, um, which is how come I was so focused on like the intention setting around it. Okay, so now before I annoy everyone, I'm gonna read out some of the questions because you guys have been asking questions and then Daniel, I'll hand them to you first because I consider you to be the SME on this right now. And so going back to corporate talk. So Avery says, do you think this heightens a medium's experience connection? Also, can we, um, touch on integration after the journey. Thank you. Um, do you want to go? Sure. Well, I feel like we just kind of touched on a bit around that connection and experience. So my thought on um, the integration piece is have a plan of integration. There are actually amazing qualified therapists out there that help you with post-trip decompression. Like you can book a session in advance if you want to have somebody who specializes in psychedelic medicine to help guide you through that integration piece. For me, I you know stayed in a hotel and so I knew I was going to be there for like 36 hours. And so I brought a journal. I put on beautiful music. I tried to capture everything that that happened. I tried to like sit with it all, um, not explain it all the way, but just like be with it for a little bit. And then, you know, I have a therapist. She knew I would be doing this. She wasn't qualified to sit with me for it, but I really used a lot of those sessions to share what I had experienced and what my reflection was on them. Um, so, you know, I had people kind of lined up to help me unpack my experiences and be that space to share some of them. Because, I mean, the spiritual space can be really judgy, especially when it comes to stuff like this. And, you know, I haven't felt overly safe bringing this conversation even into spirit school. So this is me saying, okay, I'm starting to feel a bit more safe here that y'all aren't just going to like judge and stuff like that. But I really did have my quiet containers that felt very safe to me to share what I saw, what I experienced. Um, and some things didn't make sense for years, by the way, either, um, that I was able to experience. So that's my, that's my thought on like integration. Um, anything that you want to add, Daniel? Um, I'll balance that with <clears throat> just sharing again, the type of things that keep me up at night. Um, with this question, this question makes me think about it. Um, on the drug development side of things, the reason why this is so tricky and it's so like, um, it's it's downright painful for me. Like I need to, I, this is the type of problem I, I, I get up to solve every day. But what I'm getting at is our biologies, according to our race and ethnicity are so vastly different hugely different okay as an example we had a study not with psychedelics but the you know everybody was wondering like why are we not enrolling black women like what's going on like we need to have a hard look well guess what part of the criteria to enter the study meant that the that if you were a woman you had to be within a certain reference range for this lab value well guess what black women that's not their normal lab reference range so you have already selectively biasly excluded them from the study reason why I'm sharing that is because in order to participate in these psychedelic studies, you need to have all the, you know, background to have access to mental health and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're excluding these communities of color and they're developing a dose that they're then going to submit to the FDA and other regulatory agencies like in Canada and Europe, et cetera, and they're going to say, we're going to legalize this dose for people. Well, that dose was not adequately studied in 
all other race and ethnicities so that when my mom goes to the doctor with the same condition, they prescribe her something and it doesn't work. That's an issue, right? And so when I think about integration, it just took me on that tangent about why the duality of the spiritual work with the Western medicine is so important to me. Um, because yeah, like you need to be able to have the resources and integration is going to look very different to everybody. You know, I think after the second or third time I've done, um, LSD, I'll just go to bed, take a nap four hours later and like, everything's fine. Like there is no more integration, but for those first couple times, right. You should really think about what that support, um, system is going to look like for you. Yeah, I appreciate you balancing that take and conversation. So thank you so, so much. There's so much to consider with this. Because of your role in, in this company, are you able to say, hey, we've excluded a whole demographic and like we need to broaden this? Is that happening because they're able to see these gaps? Yeah, so in that particular study, I halted the trial um, and we submitted a report to the FDA and we said, hey, we're halting enrollment went back to the pharma company and said, this needs to be rewritten. Um, so if you want, if not fire us. So the, so the company I work for, think of it, think of it as a party planner for big pharma clients. So big pharma clients want to throw a party, but they don't want to do all the work. So then they hire a company like mine and the team of experts like mine to do that work for them. Mm -hmm. So if they sign a contract and they say, Hey, we're going to hire you as our party planner for our study that comes with terms and conditions. You don't tell your party planner where they're going to get their chairs, where they're going to get their flowers. That's all bundled up, right? So in that regard, yes. So if we find those discrepancies, it's my job to, to halt them and say, well, wait, we need to take a hard look. What are we doing here? I love that. I know you call oh, it a muggle job, but this is the furthest thing from a muggle job I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun, yeah. Okay, next question from Emily. Um, can you talk about setting an intention for your experience? Like why should you set one and what is a reasonable intention? In the beginning, I did that. I feel like I looked at uh, the first psychedelic I did was psilocybin. I feel like I stared at it and was like, all right, tread gently. Like I'm, I'm, I want to experience this and I want to have, you know, a light experience, etc." From then to now, my attitude has changed. I no longer set intentions because there is such a trust that my body and my soul know where I am. And there's such a trust and knowingness that I'm connected to the spirit and the divine at all times without having to think about it, without having to write an affirmation down. It's just like, all right, today's the day and, and, and just, and just fall. And like the, act and practice and i call it practice because it's an it's an ongoing practice the practice of surrender i'm constantly practicing surrender so that at this point if i were to do lsd or whatever psychedelic by the act of deciding i'm going to do it i have already surrendered and fallen into where i need to be because at the end of the day the medicine is going to do that anyway so um that's kind of where i, I fall with intention setting Okay. I'm obviously still a baby newbie at this. I've just had those two experiences and it's been a while. Um, yeah, I think with intention, like for my take is just like, you know, I think as, as mediums, as light workers, 
we're always kind of setting intentions, right? Like we, we pray before our sessions, we talk to the world of spirit, like allow me to bring through the deepest need of healing today. So when I do my intention settings, it's pretty much the same as when I prepare for a mediumship session or when I am entering a visualization with my guides to receive some clarity. It has that same energy. It has that same um, process for me. I, I love prayer. Um, I'm reclaiming the word prayer in my own life. I'm not gonna apologize for it anymore, but that's essentially um, what I'm, I'm doing. I'm trying to be in harmony with it. Um, now, I obviously have an affinity for plant people. This is my tobacco plant. And like, so I, I love the idea of talking to plants and like, like That's a powerful I, plant for you to have there, Daniel. It is, you know, this is how I, I reconcile my years of, you know, abusing to colonize tobacco. I smoked for 17 years and had a really unhealthy relationship to the plant. And then as I started to reconnect with my culture, tobacco became my favorite offering. And that was really conflicting for me because I had such an unhealthy um, relationship to it before. And um, so one of my ways I'm reconciling this relationship with the medicine is to grow it myself, like from beginning to end. And I'm actually experimenting with drawing it out. Now I'm doing it all intuitively. And so like I'm experimenting um, with different drawing methods and stuff like that as well. But this is how come I love topics like this because it is part of the plant people family. Um, and I think that we can be in harmony and be in, in vibe with the plants around the world. So I treat it just like I talk to my tobacco plant, just like I talk to my ancestors, just like I talk to my guides and your loved ones. If you sit with me, it's all the same. Um, so I, I, that's how I, I talk about intention before um, my, my thing, but obviously if you, if you know me enough by now, audience, you know, I'm a little bit of a high warrior. I have a little bit of a high worry score. And so my concern, again, being very controlling, because controlling is also part of my thing, Daniel, which is how come this medicine really helps me surrender because I was trying to like control the experience off the bat. And then the experience pretty much tells me like, you are not in control here, sis. <laughs> the medicine pushed you out of the uh, airplane without a parachute. Pretty much. And oh my gosh, did I ever cry? I mean, it felt so good. I feel like I let go of like decades of tears I was holding in. It was just so cleansing and yeah, you just feel like so whole after it, I think. Um, it's kind of yeah. cool. Okay, so for Melanie asked question, um, so it's great to know micro versus macro follow-up question. How frequently would you take a macro quarterly, annually? Um, let me, oh, that was that from Leona. Thank you for adding that as a question, Melanie. What do you think, Daniel? I think whatever feels right, whatever feels right, you know, your keep track of your experience with a microdose and maybe, I like the journal idea, maybe once a week or twice a week, if not every day, just kind of track with like on a scale of one to 10, where's my mood, you know, and that, and trying to, and, and then I'm very scientific in that way, right? Like what I would do is look at a week or two and then see, all right, how soon after a microdose do I start to kind of come down on my mood or whatever it is that I'm keeping track of? And then kind of take it, take it from there. If you want to take a little bit more, less of a cerebral approach, lean into your gut and see what your body's craving, see what your spirit is craving. You know, if you do a microdose and it feels right to do it again the next day, and do that. If you do one macro dose and it feels right to not do it till next year, then do that. 
I think that's great. I will say I looked at the Stamet stack because that just kept coming up when I was researching it. But what I did is I found a source that isn't too far away that like ethically sources it, but then they also um, present it in a bunch of different ways. You can get through chocolates or raw or a tincture or capsules. And I will say I did all my hero doses in the capsules, but I loved the tincture because I could, I could really manage my own dosage, right? So where it was recommending 20 as a microdose, I started with like 10 and I tried 12, then 15. So again, kind of like Daniel, I just kind of like, I just kind of felt what my body thought was like enough. And that's how come I really did like the tincture, um, but I had to put in a drink. I didn't mind rooming because it's, it's like it has alcohol in it. And I don't like the taste of alcohol, but um, I use chocolate milk because I never drink chocolate milk. So I'm like, I don't mind ruining chocolate milk. Um, so, and then with the higher dose, I have, the only way I can describe it, I've only done two. I'd be open to trying it again, but I almost feel for me, it like calls me. Like the second time I did it, I felt like the medicine was calling me back. And so I kind of lean into that. And I'm here to say like up until probably the past month, I haven't felt called to it again. Um, and it's been about 18 months, which, you know, as a recovering addict and somebody who does come from a really long, um, you know, ancestral line around addictions, that's the one thing that I really liked about it in my research around it, that it didn't have addictive, um, known addictive patterns to it unlike tobacco for me or other smoking sensations which have a tie to like an addiction for me i didn't find psilocybin to be addictive in any way i don't know if your research has shown that as well but that's something that also made me get a little bit of comfort around it i think the confounding variable that we've seen is that the compound itself is not there's no evidence to suggest it's addicting However, addictive personality is a different story. And so that, that is part of like, when we look at the criteria for the clinical trial, there's all the inclusion criteria that you have to have to qualify. And then all the exclusion criteria that you cannot have a single one of those to qualify. And that's what we build into the clinical trial. It's like history of drug abuse or known substance abuse. Like we, we through interviews, understand what that's like to just get a sense of where the patient is in relation to their addictive personality. And that's what makes the clinical trial so expensive because you need a psychiatrist for that part. Yeah. Um, so it's it's quite thorough, yeah. Okay. I like that. What I like about seeing in the chat, I'm not able to read every comment or I can't focus on what Daniel's saying, but I think we answered all the questions, the hashtag questions that came up. But I'm really happy about the openness that people seem to have over here as we're talking about this. So I'm wondering like, if you feel like sharing any more experiences that you've had or any more wisdom or epiphanies that you've received from it. But I also want to acknowledge and honor that some of that is really intimate and not everyone likes to share that type of stuff, but just kind of curious. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. I just, there was one question that caught my eye and it was about reconciling how this may affect the minds of young people. Let me see. Um, I just want to make sure I found it. Oh, Leilani had a cue. Let me see. The light will come in rainbows for me, Glenda. Yes, I saw a lot of rainbows. My first one, everything was actually rainbow. Yeah, very, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a very, very like metallic, watery like rainbow fluid. Yeah. Very so that's where I got the teaching around the stream of life. Like I literally saw like a stream of life, and it was just 
colors I've never seen. Like it was so cool. It was so cool. I always, I always said when my um, when my childhood dog passed away, I used to say, "Oh, he went across the Rainbow Bridge." As a child, like I didn't know any better. Now I saw the Rainbow Bridge. I'm like, oh, this is a real thing. <laughs> yes, I everything I was seeing was outlined. Like I wish I could describe it to an artist to draw what I saw because it's like I was outlined in rainbow. The life, the stream of life was there. I even saw the fabric of life, which actually made me a little bit uncomfortable because it felt so impersonal. It, yep. I, it actually took me years to say that out loud because I couldn't describe how I felt seeing the fabric of life it it felt so impersonal to me and then a couple of years later i was listening to a caroline mace lecture and she said the impersonal universe it's impersonal but it's intimate and i was like oh like you just described what i saw in 2021 and had so much uncomfortableness around because i was like it was so impersonal yeah it was kind of wild Okay, Leilani, so thank you, Leona. She says, can you talk about the medicine if it does not speak to that person? I've seen kids mess up their brain and how to recover. There you go, that's the one. Thank you, Leona. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Melanie, as well. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, thank you, all right. it again, too. <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah, you know? <laughs> I appreciate it. So, um, hmm. the reason why I'm, I'm I'm so I wanted to talk about this is because, um, by the way, the psychedelic portfolio is all within neuroscience. And the reason why is because it addresses all mental health disorders. Psilocybin for treatment resistant depression. We have MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder. LSD is treating um, generalized anxiety disorder. If you can believe that, I was shocked, by the way, as someone who has had friends go on an LSD trip with me and they like don't have a great trip. Now I'm in this drug developer role and I'm like, oh, the, the theory here is we're going to use it for generalized anxiety disorder. Okay. Right. Um, but again, it's because it's not about the experience. It's about what is happening chemically here, structurally. So I'll say this, I think number one, the cultural stigma and the um, belief system around that person's upbringing, that child's upbringing, et cetera, and how the parents may be influencing that perception, you're imprinting how they see the world and their understanding of how medicine is and what it is. So, you know, in my experience, I worked at a children's hospital for a few years and I would very noticeably see very, very different responses to medication and to just overall treatment in the rooms where the parents were anxious and nervous and skeptic and on edge and what is that and don't give it to my child and da, da, da. and what would the child do they would tense up and you know they would actually have these adverse reactions to certain things and you know I, i'm again i balance my western medicine mind with the fact that i'm a spiritual being right so like i'm a big believer that there needs to be a balance of the relationship that your body has with medicine it's a relationship it's not a prescriptive, I'm going to give it and it's going to work. And then in the rooms where the parents took more of a accepting, holistic, supportive, we're here to heal, we're here to trust each other, you would see better response rates, right? I should have done a study on that to prove it a little bit more and back it up. But I say that because um, more often than not, the adverse effects that we see with psychedelics has a lot more to do with underlying what we'll say comorbidity of a mental health disorder 
and or unresolved trauma that at the time of that trip, it precipitates it. And it like you really can't, once you're in the trip, there's no way to back out of that tunnel other than to just move forward. And the sooner that you can accept that during your trip, the better, you know, the easier of a time you're going to have. And so, you know, I think it's a matter of listening to your bodies and what Daniel said earlier too. It's not going to be for every everyone and not everyone is going to benefit from the medicines the same way. So, you know, it's, I think it's important to have that sense of awareness, number one, of like, what is the belief system around the, and the attitude and how are you influencing, you know, your child's reception of this. Uh, and then number two, just keeping an eye out on, all right, well, not everything is going to work with psilocybin or LSD, et cetera. Maybe none of them are for me. Um, so that's kind of how I wanted to talk about that. Because again, on the flip side, these medications have been life-changing. We had one patient on panel who couldn't even give his opening, hi, my name is, without being in absolute tears because he had struggled with treatment-resistant major depression for years. He had um, attempted suicide multiple times. He had lost his job. He had lost his marriage and his kids. His life totally fell apart and destroyed because he could not, the medications were not working for his depression. And he did a couple of sessions with psilocybin on macrodose. And he's like, I feel like I should have done this 15 years ago. And it's changed my life and people need this. People are suffering everywhere, right? So you'll see the opposite spectrums of people who don't have that great effect. And, you know, maybe it, there's some sort of residual adverse effect on their psyche, but then you have the total opposite effect, which is what we're seeing in troves. That's the reason for all of this de drug development work is because of that benefit that we're seeing in the mental health space. Yeah, touching on that, I can't touch on the youth because I just don't know enough about it. So I'm glad to have you here to kind of bring your wisdom into it. But I did read a lot of research about, um, you know, war veterans being treated for pretty severe PTSD with this with really high success rates. I will say somebody who smoked um, colonized tobacco for 17 years, I was one of the most devoted smokers you will ever meet, like, I smoked a lot and I got them for free because I worked for a race car um, team that was sponsored by tobacco cigarettes, team players. And um, trying to quit smoking was, it, it made me crazy. It actually made me crazy. It was harder for me to quit smoking than to birth a child. Wow. I went absolutely crazy. It was so severe. I actually only quit once because the whole process of quitting was, it, it just really, really messed with me. And I had, I used Champix, which was really severe as well. A lot of side effects with that as well. I'm like, I am never quitting again. And so I did, and I've been quit now for about 15 years. Thank goodness. Um, well, less than that, I think maybe like 13 years. I just celebrated this past May. Um, so one of the stats that kind of blew me away was around using psilocybin one dose one time for people to quit smoking cigarettes because it is such a hard addiction to quit one of the hardest because it is so accessible as well um and the success rate was 85 percent they checked in with people a year later two years later who did one dose to quit smoking cigarettes 85 percent success rate like that is astronomically effective mm -hmm. right for it. So 
I wish I knew about that a long, long time ago because I much would have preferred that than the side effects that I got from Trampix for six months. Um, it was actually, it was really, really hard <laughs> to quit, but I did it and we're done with it. So I want to touch on this comment because it is something that I've had come up a few times in conversations. And so for people who love the naturalness of like psilocybin, it grows everywhere. It's accessible. Um, you forage it. And then, you know, the mentality around it being brought into mainstream through clinical settings, because you do really walk both sides of the world. Like, what do you say around that? And, and how do you reconcile that with yourself? And is there anything that you can say that can help um, bring balance to that perspective? It's, it is very, I mean, it is very hard. Um, you know, on the one hand, some of the work that I do. So, I mean, earlier, you know, I gave you guys my background. Psychedelics is one, you know, asset of a portfolio within neurosciences. And neurosciences is only one of five therapeutic areas that I support over 60 countries. So my day-to-day -day is very different on any given day i'm doing something totally totally different i find myself working the most with the psychedelic portfolio because of the disparities in the states that we see most severely impacting communities of color um, and specifically with psilocybin we're working with uh, native american tribal leaders to understand how do we come into the space from the lens of storytelling, the preservation of health, the preservation of uh, culture, so that you are not seeing this transactional historical trauma of where well, you're ripping and taking and stealing and commercializing. And I'm having to balance that with, of course, you've got people on the pharma side because it is a capitalistic endeavor. It's not altruistic. They're there to develop a drug to return money on shareholders. That's what it is. I have to balance their incentives and what their stakes are. And then I have my dear, dear friend and colleague and coworker and total badass. She's based out of uh, Vancouver, actually. So I'm gonna I'm gonna come out real soon to hang out with her. And me. She um, she calls it yes, and you she calls herself a rebel regulator. And this woman is a total badass. She will sit there square in the face, nose to nose with the FDA and say, no, she will shut it down. And I balance all of that with <clears throat> being able to like work with tribal leaders and other community leaders in the black community, Hispanic community and say, all right, what do we need to do to make this accessible? Number one, but most importantly, how do we educate these communities to, you know, destigmatize all of this. I think that's the most important thing is the education part and destigmatize something that you are straight up traumatized of because of the war on drugs. And of course, the historical long line of drug abuse and drug addiction and the perceptions of psychedelics being one of those, you know, influencer factors into furthering addiction. So I walk a very, very delicate rope of telling my colleague in Vancouver, hey, I need you to halt the regulators, because I need to put pressure on the drug developers and kind of make them flinch a little that if they don't do this right, they're not going to get their drug to market. Meanwhile, I need to hold space with these people and community leaders so that I can figure out what is the best way to open up these 
roads and open up these pathways so that five, 10 years down the road, when this drug is commercially available and it's approved, they have equitable access to it. And it's not just the select few that, you know, are benefiting from this, this like, now we're going to say traditional Western medication, even though it's a holistic medication, right? Um, that is my big, like magic wand ideal is that I can keep doing that and be successful at it. Um, I struggle a little bit with um, recreational legalization only for one reason and one reason only. Because I don't think it's addressing the stigma around it. And I also fear that it'll further perpetuate it falling into the wrong hands of people who don't know that you don't just take this, you know, compound and go out with friends to watch a movie. And if it's your first time, you don't know what you're going to, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it, that is my big fear is that like, if you legalize it from a recreational standpoint, you're leaving folks their own devices, which, okay, one can argue. Yeah. People are adults. Let them be. Um, but just like that inner <laughs> hippie healer in me is like, I, it's such a powerful medicine that like, you deserve to experience it and not like fight it and and because it's cool like it's just i don't know that's where my struggle is a little bit but ultimately whatever road gets us to having it be accessible to people who need it the most whether it's through you know legal legalization on the right on the uh, recreational side or legal use like as an approved fda regulated drug and everywhere in between, that's that's more or less where I'm at with it. Okay, I love that. Thank you for for addressing that and just like calling you know the elephant out in the room as well. Um, and then I wanted to know your opinion on, you know, do you think conversations like this? Do you think going live in a community with 1,444 people um, is helping like with the stigmatization around this? And like, is there something, you know, those of us who have benefited from the medicine can do to help move this along as like a bit of a ripple effect in our own little corners, our own little communities? Like, what do you recommend? I think normalizing it. You know, I think people, part of the stigma is Oh, LSD, like immediate mind image of the type of people. Oh, that that type of person does that. Or those type of people. I'm like, I'm not that type of person, right? But then it's like, oh well, hello, I'm I'm type of person, right? And just talking about that. I think just talking about it and putting it out in the open air, talking about our experiences, demystifying that no, not like the 1980s commercials, your brains are not gonna cook like a frying <laughs> egg on a pan because you did LSD, right? Like just really demystifying because also the other phenomenon that i see is folks of this generation and younger generations hold you know um biases and beliefs and when you ask them where did you get that they're like oh, i don't know my mom kind of just always felt like that or i don't know like my grandma always kind of just told us that so like if you demystify this for people who are like oh yeah that makes sense why did i believe otherwise that's a really big deal um, the other thing too, is share your stories, just share your stories. That's it. You know, share your stories with your loved ones. Um, the people who you care about will not care. And, you know, the other day I went out for a brunch with my mom and I was talking to her and I'm, I have a very open relationship with her. 
And I was telling her about my LSD experience and this, and she was asking, she's like, you know, she grew up and came up during the 1960s and the seventies. And like, literally this was the war. She's like, oh, so you're a hippie now is what she was saying. And so we spent a few hours, you know, and then she came back home and she was like, well, I want to try it. And I, was like, <laughs> and I was like, okay, so there we were, my mom and I on an LSD trip. And that was probably, if I were to, point at one psychedelic experience that has been the most profound. It was the moment that the person who brought me to this world, who through her womb connected me to my grandmother and ancestors thereof, and I were melting our ego alongside each other. That was like, whoa, right? So, but now like you're able to do that because you're talking about it. If you're hiding from it or you're skittish, or nervous, what are they going to think of me? You're in that act validating why the stigma exists in that act you're validating why people should not do it because there's shame around it um and we do that unconsciously i'm not saying like that's your intention i'm just saying like that is the antidote to you know the stigma yeah so can i ask i'm so interested now <laughs> down another whole stream um so we have some comments here just about unlearning normalizing conversation no one thinks twice when you take advil without like a thought and so um thank you for bringing your comments in but have you seen with your mom after her first experience like from an outsider kind of looking in what changes have you noticed in her she so my mom has several siblings my mom was about a month and a half when her mom passed. And so my mom's older sister stepped in and raised her. And over this, you know, over the span of years, she came to the US when she was 15. She met my dad. By the time she was 17, she was pregnant with twins. And then she was pregnant with my middle brother and then me. And then my dad left. So as a single mom, she brought up four boys uh, and has this like really weird dynamic with her siblings where it's like they raised her, but also they're her siblings. So the relationship roles have always been a little unclear and that has precipitated a lot of like volatile, great periods and then like really ugly fractures, right? And so over the span of my life, the siblings, all my aunts and uncles have probably spoken to each other and been harmonized all of one year. And the current state of affairs is like, oh, these aunts don't talk to each other. And, oh, I started to talk to your uncle again. And, oh, by the way, I don't talk to your aunt anymore. Like, it's always been that way. Yeah. When we came out of the, um, and the other thing to note is when we were in, during the LSD trip, I was sitting on the couch. My mom was to the left of me. And I could smell gardenias and I can feel the presence of my grandmother, my mater my mom's mom. And before I could even say anything, I heard my mom audibly gasp because she never met her mom. She never mm -hmm. met her. I heard my mom audibly gasp and I turned to look at her and I was wondering if she was feeling and perceiving the same thing. And she just started crying and she's like, I, she's like my mom, she just kept saying my mom is here. So like, I can clearly see that obviously the mediumship healing comes through that line with her. She's just not aware of it, but you know, I, I kept encouraging her. I just kept saying like, you know, don't fight it. Don't be surprised. Like what, what does she want? What is she here to tell you? What is she here to teach you? Long story short, when she came out of it, you know, there was a moment where we were talking about, um, you know, my, my, my aunt's birthday had just kind of passed 
And she was like, you know, I've just come to accept all of my siblings the way they are. She's like, it's not their fault that they are the way they are. We had a rough childhood. We lost her mom. She's like, I'd like to think I had it the worst because I never met her, but maybe they had it the worst because they did have her for several years and they did get a chance to meet her and they had to grieve losing her that way. Um, and she said, like, I find contentment because I know my mom's always with me. Mm. And now she knows that, like, she knows that because she's experienced it, right? So overall, the other thing I noticed is my mom had this, like, codependency and fear of being, that's so funny. Stop! Stop! <laughs> I'm so covered in shivers right now. We're, we're like that. So we have this very <laughs> interesting connection. Like, if I'm thinking about her, she'll call me. Or if she's about to ask me a question on a text message, I'm calling her. It's a very, it's it's the, what is it? The mom powers, the mom this senses. Is crazy. So just to describe for people who are like listening on the go, like his mom's literally calling right now. Yeah. <laughs> literally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I've just seen a total sense of spiritual independence from her. Yeah. Like she is so accepting of people. She is so, unbothered by things just roll off of her back you know she's and that was off of one dose yeah i love it and then that also really does heal a lot of the line a lot more than we can even comprehend because the stigma in the family now will kind of alleviate even just a little bit if they're aware of it or not but yeah because then, then my cousins or my brother will call her trying to talk bad I don't know. I'm like, oh, can you believe what, you know, so-and-so did? And she'll now stop them. She'll be like, well, no, I actually, like, you shouldn't talk that way. Yeah, and my, yeah. my, like, the ripple effect of the family is like, oh, are we not trash-talking this aunt anymore? It's like, no, we're not. It's like, okay. <laughs> I love that story. That is probably my favorite story of this whole talk, this whole experience. Um, yeah, I'm going to sit with that. And I love to, Gabby mentioned it here in the chat, but like what a gift, because um, acceptance was like such a big thing for me in um, my experiences as well. And I know how big of a gift that is in life. Like a lot of my work has turned into um, radical like self-acceptance, self-love, and I love the medicine for that. I absolutely love that, Daniel. I love it, love it. I'm going to start to wrap this up because I got to prepare for a Q&A, but um, I want to give you, I just want to give first and foremost, my absolute heartfelt gratitude to you and your time and your expertise. And I know we've been trying to align this conversation since the beginning of summer. And I feel like it's a perfect spirit school conversation. I want to leave the final comments, the final reflections, sharing a bit about you, how people can learn more about you and your work, whether it's your spirit work or mediumship, you have a demonstration coming up next week. Um, so close us off. Yeah, no, thank, thank you for that plug. I so generous of you. So I, I am having my first demonstration next week, Wednesday. Uh, so I can, you know, I'm sure we can post the info somewhere uh, and see if folks want to share it, please. You know, I would love it. Y'all shared it on your socials or attended yourselves that would be really cool uh, a lot of fun uh so yeah so thank you for for mentioning that daniel um yeah i mean look i think that the timing of this conversation is intentional things didn't work out from early summer for a reason uh i think that you know this is a space and time entering as we get ready to wrap up the year to really kind of reflect on i don't know about everybody else but this has been one heck of a bumpy ride in terms of like oh this is what you thought you wanted to do actually you need to go in that direction which 
symbolically is very much what a psychedelic trip is like. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm very humbled at that. And I'm also very humbled that I can keep reminding myself through invitations like this, that the work that I do is not separate from the spiritual work that I'm here to do. They are very much interconnected. Um, and I, I think above all, I really want to encourage folks to, to realize like those of us that are developing mediums and we're in the light working and we're in the spiritual realm. I think we still are not excluded from the fact that we are having a human experience. Unfortunately, that is a uh, part of the terms and conditions of having come to earth. And the reason why I say that is because involuntarily and subconsciously over the span of time, we inevitably allow the ego to take back over our spiritual mind. We allow our ego to um, really cloud and really, um, what's the word, deceive us into what reality really is. And we start to believe that all that is around us is all there is. And I know that as spiritual light workers, psychics, mediums, etc., we know I don't want to say we know better. I'll say we know more or we know different. Um, but I think this is a good reminder that, you know, whether you explore psychedelics or not, I think a lot of the central theme here was dissolving the here and now and understanding how vast and how big the universe is in the cosmos. And the fact that our role is not a speck of dust in it. The fact that our role is the, we are the cosmos. We are the network of interconnected what looks like neuronal connections when you look at these, you know, mega telescope pictures, right? That's all of us. And so, you know, I think that is what my takeaway message here is, is to just remind ourselves of our true form, our true selves. Uh, I like to call myself an interdimensional extraterrestrial, which is why you'll see a lot of UFO and alien emojis. Uh, and yeah, just really step into the rest of the week and the rest of the year on a light note. Like things have been really heavy. Um, I know they have been for me, but being able to get into the practice of surrender is a, is a, the other theme I heard in our conversation with psychedelics, right? That's not a practice that's limited to psychedelics. I think that's a great practice. Just apply it to general things in life. And if there's one last thing that I will leave you with is something that's been revolutionizing my life for the last two months. And it's very simple. It's also very difficult to do. <laughs> and that is practicing non-attachment to the outcome. Mm. I woke up today and I have a set list of things to do and I'm going to move through them. But you know what? I'm not attached to the outcome. I'm not attached to having done them. I'm not attached to doing them. So on and fill in the blank. Non-attachment to the outcome. Just step in and live in the moment. And I think... Um, I don't know. Psychedelics will definitely teach you that too. <laughs> Beautiful messages. What a great way to leave us on. Thank you for your time, your energy, your expertise. Mm -hmm. Good luck on your first demonstration next week. Please let us know how it goes in the advancing mediumship container. And Danielle, just a pleasure to know you. I'm glad we all got to have this conversation and I'm sure we will have you back um, for a follow-up once this hits the greater audience and there's going to be so many more questions so we'll definitely call this a 1.0 conversation and thank you everyone for being so open to receiving um, wisdom on this topic and we will see you in spirit school bye everyone 
Did you know that Spirit School is not just a podcast? It's an actual school. If you go to myspiritschool.com, you can invest in self-study courses, live programs, and of course, the Spirit School Collective, my baby, my monthly membership community. All Spirit School offerings are intended to get you feeling clear, confident, and connected to your spiritual path, your development journey, and of course, connected to other spiritual curious souls who are having similar experiences to you. I hope to see you in Spirit School.